Welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. I've met many audiobook professionals and avid listeners on my journey as an audiobook narrator, and I'm looking forward to introducing them to you. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and enjoy a friendly chat about audiobooks and audiobook production. I've got a special friend joining me tonight here in the audiobook speakeasy. He's an accomplished narrator who's narrated hundreds of audiobooks, including some full cast recordings. He's a world-round narration coach who has coached some of the best narrators in the business. As a workshop facilitator, he's hosted expert panels in narration workshops all over the world, including New York, London, and a small yurt in the middle of Siberia. In his spare time, he's an Olympic athlete, having garnered gold medals in the 100, 200, and 400-word dash before being stripped of them for participating in events that don't actually exist. And never happy to leave well enough alone, he's selflessly committed to at least two social media diatribes a day against the fascist morons who've temporarily taken over the executive branch of the U.S. government. Johnny Heller, thanks for stopping in here at the Speakeasy tonight. My pleasure to be with you. I'm so glad you could make it. I know you've got a busy schedule. I do, as a matter of fact. I've got a this, I'm just, I'm slammed all the time, but I like, by the way, my voice is even messed up. That's why I have my clinics with thing happening here. <laughs> That's it, fine. Usually it's, it's much lighter than this. So, sounds good to me. So what are you <laughs> drinking tonight? Um, well, normally I would be drinking uh, one of my many, I said a birthday and I'll tell you, but he gave me a, what have I got? One, two, three, four, I've got five different bottles of bourbon here. Oh, nice. So, now, bur- bourbon's my drink of choice, but coffee is what I'm having now and I'll, Eventually switch to some tea because because I have the sore throat. Maybe later on I'll have a sip of bourbon, but I don't. Not right now. Got to take care of those vocal cords. Yeah, my, that's you know seriously in in our line of work, it's everything. It is, yeah. So uh, tonight I'm joining you in a drink. Uh, I actually, knowing that you are a bourbon fan, I was going to have a bourbon that I was going to recommend to you. I don't know if you are a fan of wheated bourbons, but uh, I did a tasting recently, and I've got some Larceny bourbon on i've had larceny have you you like it Uh uh-huh i I do like it i like um i like knob creek oh knob creek yeah sure uh basil hayden there's something called johnny drum which isn't readily available that i really like a lot i'll look for it Uh, i haven't seen that one yeah it's hard to find but it's uh it's pretty good i mean there seems to be a big uh renaissance in bourbons these days yeah i'm I'm gonna get some sweet i'm gonna make some manhattans i think and that's a nice little Still bourbon-y, but a little switch, you know. A little, sure, yeah. Use like a little it, bourbon like instead of rye. Well, yeah. I was going to have some of this larceny. I really like it. I love the the little wheat note. Uh, reminds me of when I used to bake whole wheat bread. Take a little whiff of that. Take a sip, and and I love it. But I'm getting over cold, so I decided instead to have a hot toddy. So I've got some uh, <laughs> I've got some ginger tea here, a couple of cloves, a little lemon juice, and a nice big slug of wild turkey. That's absolutely perfect. All right. Well, cheers, Johnny. There we go. Get Man, a little, that's little funny. Organic right. cold beans from somewhere or another. All yeah. right. Well, where are you from, Johnny, originally? I grew up, I'm from Chicago. Chicagoland. Uh-huh. I grew up with the um, – although my um, my mother's from London, so I grew up with the uh, – I pick out uh, – her side of the family is what I'm closest to in terms of style and, and speech. And I had a, she had a British accent, of course, as did I until I was 10. I had but no I idea. So – yeah, yeah, I had a British accent. I couldn't, but I couldn't say the letter R. I sound like um, a British Elmer Fudd uh, <laughs> <laughs> in my early years. But then I, I eventually lost. But I never really had. I can do a Chicago sound, and I have in a lot of my uh, narrations. But I never had the, that Chicago accent. 
I, I didn't realize that you had that London connection. So I know you were just over there for a, a yeah. workshop, I believe. Did, did you get some time to uh, visit any relatives that are that might still be over there? I know I have some over there, but I didn't have a chance to visit any of them, nor do I really know any of them. Uh, most of the ones that I, most of the ones that were close to my mom, um, uh, moved over here. Uh, there's a huge British contingent down in St. Petersburg, Florida, and they all seem to migrate that way. Huh? Yeah. So it's big. Yeah. So I'm, I'm mostly English and Irish. So I have that. Those sounds tend to come out in my voice more than anything else. Yeah. So you grew up in Chicago. Did you go to school out there? I went to school. I mean, college. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Loyola University of Chicago. Oh, so right there, staying close to home. Right, right there in Rogers Park. I lived right there. I lived right by Wrigleyville for um, when I was out of college. I lived there for a number of years, uh, right by the Cubs, right by the stadium there. And uh, and that I came to. I've been lived in L.A. for about a, uh, on and off for two and a half years, probably parts of two and a half years. But I've always had my place here in Manhattan. So I, Manhattan's my home. I've been in New York now longer than Chicago. Oh. Yeah, so I'm a, I guess I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, sounds like it. So, uh, yeah. so you kept your place in New York, but you were living in LA for a while. Was that just to pursue acting stuff? Exactly for that. Yeah, um, I went out to LA to just you know to to you know bigger, better, more. Mm-hmm. Um, I did I did some things. I, I'll be honest. At the time I went, this is not a slap at LA because now I have a ton of friends out there. But when I went out there, audiobooks. I wasn't in audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Wasn't audiobooks didn't exist. Um, so I was just a voice actor. I did a lot of cartoon and animated stuff and whatever I could get on TV, you know, uh, episodics and stuff. But it was hard to uh, make, make friends and hard to uh, <clears throat> get work out there. Yeah, so it's, it, it's very different. Yeah. And I was there doing the Rodney King riots and stuff. And a lot of bad things happened when I was out there. And a lot of bad things happened to me, too, to sour me on the whole thing. So I, uh, <laughs> I ended up saying, I don't want to be here. Let's go back to New York safe. You're, you're not the only person I've heard say that. Oh, or, earthquake. Or, there's an earthquake, too. The first time I went there, a major earthquake. So, uh, 94 Northridge? Yeah, I think it's what it was. Yeah. Was that what it was? I, I think Northridge was 94. And that was, yeah. I think, I believe that was right before Rodney King. Let me ask Joanna. Joanna, when was I in LA? Was it 91? In LA? First time? Yeah. 91, or you're back there around 99. Yeah, 91. No, so I guess I missed that earthquake. Well, maybe maybe that was, uh, I know there was one in uh, 92, I think, as well. I don't know. I don't remember. I was up in the Bay Area by that time. Yeah. I, I, my first commercial was for Stroh's Beer. We did it in a bowling alley. And it was great commercial. It didn't go, another commercial that was great that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. But it was great. But there was an uh, uh, earthquake. And the bowling alley, the, the, the roof, you look like you're underwater looking up the way, because the roof kind of had like waves. And it, and it was moving and undulating. That's great. So and you was, so you go out to L.A. You, you go out to L.A. to be an actor, and not only do you get to do an acting gig, but you get an earthquake in the middle of the acting gig. Oh my God! Yeah, I was. I, was, <laughs> I, was, I went back. I went right back to the stage back in New York and Chicago for that. I was like, no, enough of this. So, did you do? Have you done a lot of stage work? I started in uh, stage work in Chicago. I did um, Sheer Madness for a while, which is a, a kind of a fun show. I did. Um, I studied Shakespeare. Um, with my acting guru, I took courses of like three years and did a lot of theater. I, I wrote a couple plays. We did those. I did a Northlight repertory. But I started making um, inroads with casting people, um, both on camera and mostly in voiceover in the commercial world. I got my I'm trying to remember how it came out. I tell the story to my students all the time because I teach 
audiobook narration and commercial voiceover. My first voiceover job was for it was Campbell's Soup, mm-hmm. and um, and the folks traveled from New York to L.A. to Chicago to find you know the voice. And I got the uh, audition and the job. And here's what I had to do. I can recreate it for you. I did this. <laughs> Love to hear it. Mm-mm. That was it. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I nailed that baby like nobody's business. And I'm thinking, who the hell didn't do a good job on that? So, uh, <laughs> so they hired me. It's still shocking. You know, literally anybody could have been that guy. Yeah. Uh, but I, it was like fifteen thousand dollars. I said, well, this is a good job to get in. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, but nothing like that ever happened again. <laughs> reminds me of but, uh, reminds me of Denny Delk with Got Milk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same same kind of thing. You got one tiny little line, and if I, if I remember correctly, the story that I've heard on that one is that was just an accident. He he wasn't even uh, he was kind of a last minute fill in for some reason, and then they ended up going with it. It was I think it was a fill in for a scratch track. I, I could be misremembering yeah. all this, but yeah. it was one of those things where it's just you're at the right place at the right time, and you have the right sound, and boom, you're in. There is, I mean, given a, a certain amount of equity in terms of talent, get, you know, and understand that we're all relatively talented mm-hmm. actors, there's so much luck involved in the commercial voiceover business, it's incredible. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right place, right time. There's no right or wrong way. It's just, um, it's fascinating. I mean, this, you, you have to play the role and do the job, but you know, sometimes, you know, let's say you're the best guy, but you're number 45 in the audition tape and they don't they, they stop listening at three yep so that's not you know so you have no control over things like that no you don't there, there are so many things that you don't have any control over uh, and i think the same is true in stage auditions as well sometimes but uh the casting thing is such an individualized thing for every single production whether it's a, a commercial or on camera or stage or whatever it is you could you could sound like an ex of one of the people who's listening and it doesn't matter how good you're going to do it they're not going to hire you that'll kill you yeah yep. yeah <laughs> well, I, I haven't done stage i haven't done stage in a long time yeah yeah let's go back to that the problem is now it's um is affordability uh as a union actor i, I have to make x number of dollars but even the, the equity union doesn't equity plays don't pay that much so. right you have, you have to be you have to be one of the the ten big name stars in the world to be able to get the mm-hmm. top pay. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, that's great. So, so you did a lot. Of, you've done a lot of stage. Did you actually uh, study theater arts when you were in school at Loyola? Um, I did theater at Loyola, but my major was American history and politics. Oh, no science. kidding! I'm a, I'm a history guy and a, and a political guy. So I studied. Uh, I I was. I took, I was going to go pre, I was pre-law basically. And I took the LSAT and I did well. And I mean, I, I was, I was pretty good at Loyola. I had a, uh, until my, let's see, to my final semester, senior year, I think I was 4.0. Wow. All the way. And I finally graduated three, eight, three or something like that. Cause I, um, I discovered girls along the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it messed me up a little bit, but, um, but I, I did find I decided uh, I didn't want to go on to law school because I didn't want to spend three more years and become a complete asshole. Yeah, as so many folks did. Not everyone, but uh, you know, a lot of them are. And I, I can I already had that going for myself without going to school. For <laughs> I hear you back uh, back in the the late eighties, early nineties. I actually thought about law. I'd, I'd gotten out of school a couple of years, uh, several years earlier, and uh, all of a sudden I thought. 
I don't think I want to keep working in a bank like I'm doing now. What should I do? And so I actually <laughs> studied for it, took the LSAT, did all right, didn't do great. Yeah. Um, I don't think I was in the Bay Area at the time, didn't do well enough to get into Bolt, but um, but I, I did well enough to get into Golden Gate and a few other places around there, which kind of tailor it to working people. And I thought about it after taking the test and finding out about getting into schools and thought, you know what? So that was that was great that I explored that and I'm done with the exploration. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Well, I did nice. I got a job as a, a news reporter in the, all around Jack of all trades of the Chicago Sun-Times. Oh, big paper. So I, so I was doing a lot of stuff and had a great time. And But then I gave it all up to be a world famous actor slash stand up comic. So that's what I went into. There you go. It's the choices yeah. we make, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, which it would lend, led to a, a lifelong career of bartending. Uh, <laughs> it might, it might, it might it for did. me still. You never know. Oh, so you were a bartender too? Oh, yeah. So you were a bartender, oh, yeah. one of those bartender, waiter kind of things while you were doing the acting? Rarely a waiter kind of thing. I was bad waiter. Um, and also the bar I like better because I'm, uh, I'm that kind of guy. I fit, I fit well behind the stick and uh, sure. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So it's a, but I, you know, I've done that in years. I've been a, uh, you know, just professional actor for the last 20, 25 years. But prior to that. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, I have never been a professional bartender, but I consider myself an amateur bartender. Always coming up with new drinks for my wife. Well, now, now you're a mixologist. Exactly. I mean, you know, the, place, the places I work, you know, if someone came up and asked for some sort of, you know, weird ass pink squirrel with blood orange, you know, you give them a Heineken and tell them to bugger off. You know, much too busy for that. So. But yes, the amateur mixologist, much better title. So what's the, uh, what's your situation at home right now? Or I should ask first, do you, do you normally do narration in a home studio or do you normally do narration at uh, professional studios in Manhattan? Absolutely depends on uh, the book and who's doing the hiring, but generally at home. Um, uh, Tantor, uh, Blackstone, Harper, work a lot for those guys, uh, Podium, uh, I don't even know, E-Christian, they, they, they tend to all do it at home. But I've got a new book coming up for Harper that I'll be doing at uh, John Marshall Media in their studios. Random House um, is 50-50, brings me in or lets me do it at home. I have a home studio. We live in, I know familiar you are with Manhattan apartments, but a little bit. They're generally, they're small. Yeah. So we live in two rectangles. So my wife, our two dogs, and two like basic rectangles. Uh, in one of the rectangles, we have a whisper room. Got it. So it's in, in the bedroom. So, but Joanna does her work in there as well. So the scheduling has to be that uh, uh, she works differently than I do. And she's also stays up much later than I do. So it tends to work out. So if we both have books to do, we simply have to schedule who's in there and kind of have to get out when you have to get out. Yeah, you have to use your time smartly because, uh, you know, it's, uh, generally there's, a, you know, you know how books are, how much time you have to do them. But oh, yeah. Her books, her books tend to be much longer than mine. So she needs more time in them. There's lengthy, lengthy tones. Well, that's great that you can both make use of the uh, the whisper room. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah, and the fact mean, that it's, you're it's been great. And the fact that your schedules are different. That's a big help, too. Um, so how is it with the dogs? Do they, uh, do this, do the sound of the dogs bleed into the whisper room at all? I'm, I'm planning on um, doing my own booth build here in probably about a month or two. And so I'm always interested in stories of how well they actually keep out external noise. Uh, only if they officially bark. I mean, you hear them, which yeah. is, you know, you want, that's why you, you want them for that, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so if they bark, you got to go deal with it, but just wandering around and, uh, you know, sniffing and being dog-like until you don't, you don't hear any of that. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, I'm, I'm, 
I'm hoping that my new booth is going to uh, cut out a lot of the external sounds I have, most of which don't come from my dog or my wife, but actually come from my house, uh, where I've got my setup right now. I don't know if it's because of the way it was constructed or just because of the heat here in Tucson or what it is, but I swear there are times when it sounds like there's a gun being shot like 10 feet away from me. Just hmm. the, the settling that wow. this house goes through. Uh, and where, it, where in LA are you? I, I'm in Tucson. Oh, geez. oh, I thought you said L.A., you liar. No, 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 I was in L.A. I, li I grew up oh. in L.A. Oh, okay. Then lived in the Bay Area for a while. And we've been in Tucson for about five years. And, and we love this rambling Winchester mystery house kind of house that we have. But um, it's got vaulted ceilings. And I don't know if it's because of that or it was constructed badly, which is likely given other things we've found. But there are times when all of a sudden there'll be a, a pop or, or a smack or a snap or a something and there have been a couple of times when I'd, I'd jump out of a chair because it is so damn loud. And, of course, that makes it into my booth area. So I'm hoping that where I put my new booth in this house uh, will partially get rid of it. And the way I construct it will get rid of the rest of it. We'll see how that works out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so tell me about your political views. I was kind of joking there in the in the intro, but I know that you're pretty outspoken online on uh, on your politics. And I'm... I'm always interested in hearing how voice actors deal with doing jobs that might conflict with their own personal views. Um, well, let me be, let me be frank. I, I tell my students all, and I tell everybody who asks that when you're going to post on social media, if you're going to be topical, um, then you have to stand up for what you say, be aware of what you say, be aware of the potential up and downsides to it. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you say uh, that I love Don Trump, his administration, and everything he's doing, and that's what you truly think, then and you write that, then then you have to understand there could be a groundswell of, 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 of justified hatred toward you um, from the generally liberal arts media and, the, and, and most of the people who do casting. Not all, certainly not all, but a lot of them are, are, are younger and a lot of them are um, more liberal, mm -hmm. uh, more willing to accept other human beings, more willing not to be uh, 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 gender hating or phobic about anything. So if you support someone who is those things, be aware there could be backlash. And the other side, now, having said that, I've done a lot of uh, what I would call conservative right wing books in my career. Mm -hmm. I have zero problem doing it. I think <clears throat> I mean, I, I, it's fine. I mean, as an actor, I'll do what I'm told to do as an actor, unless it's an issue of principles. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If it's if it's a history of, like I did Chris Chris Christie's biography. I did um. Let's say let's say I get Trump's biography, which no one will give me. But let's say I did. <laughs> um. I mean, if, if I accepted that job, I'd accept that job, and I'd try to do the very best job I could with it. That being said, I would never let up with my with my uh, jabs and opinions about what I think is a fascist and Nazi loving administration that uh, that uh, is devastating to the civil rights movement, not just of the 60s, but current times, um, devastating to uh, gender equality, just devastating to every progressive movement of which I'm a firm believer. Um, so. Having so, so I, I've lost. There's a fellow I did, I'm not gonna tell his name, but a guy I did a couple books for, very successful, like ACX types, mm -hmm. except he said I should have done royalty share, I'm not, but I didn't. <laughs> um, 
but they did well. And I was supposed to do another book, and he decided he didn't want me to do it because he thought of my, my political uh, stance was not in agreement with his. And I said, that's fine. I said, I have no problem. I said, but understand that I felt the same way that I feel now when I did the successful books. Mm-hmm. And I said, what you're saying is because my opinion is different than yours. One of us is being everything an American is supposed to be. And the other is trying to um, stifle speech, free speech. And mm-hmm. I said, guess which one is which? <laughs> so I said, no, so, so there's no problem. So I don't, you know, I don't, I didn't mind losing the book. I, I do plenty of books. If, however, I thought that my, my most of the writer write politically, while is from the heart and some is passionate, a lot of it's also humorous, trying to make light mm-hmm. of some things, um, because that's my background is comedy. But uh, it doesn't mean I'm not serious what I'm saying, but I'm trying to take some of the sting out because I believe people are hurting. I believe we are a deeply divided nation right now. And it's not, it's, it's a long, political party divides that really shouldn't exist. And I think that if someone voted for Don Trump because <laughs> I can't imagine why they would, but if they did and, and, and now they feel badly about it, I welcome them back to the union of man. If, if they still think everything he's doing is great, I have issues, but it doesn't mean that I think they're bad people. I think they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Their right to say what they want to say is, 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 cannot be stopped or stifled. They have every right to say what they want to say mm-hmm. and to believe what they believe. I, I, they have a right. I, I'm glad they're sincere. I sincerely believe they're wrong, but they have a right to their opinions. And I think we all have to come to some agreement about that. I just don't understand how anybody in their right mind could not be appalled. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I, I, I take that to where people are now. And I think... Well, I, I can see how people got um, convinced early on in the whole process last year that uh, he was going to be the guy for them and he was going to do the right thing. And uh, I, I get that. I disagreed at the time. I disagree now, but but I get it. I'm just amazed that there's still so much support. And I know that his numbers are about the lowest that anybody has ever had. And yet that still means that there are millions and millions of people who have support for uh, for what's going on? So I, I didn't mean to get off on a on a huge tangent. Yeah. I'm just wondering how yeah. it affects your work. So if you it, it, actually, it seems not to. Also, I have a Johnny Heller um, Twitter account, and I have a Johnny Heller um, uh, Facebook. I have an actor page, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say what I say wherever I want to say it, pretty much. But the actor page, I don't put anything political there. On the Johnny Heller Workshop Alumni page, my Facebook group. If you're studying with me, you can be a member of that page. Mm-hmm. I asked that no one put anything political in there. I want it all about the work. Right. So, and other people have that on their pages and I respect that on my own feed. I put things and if people don't like it, they don't like it. But if you want Johnny Heller, the actor uh, for your title, for your book, that's what you get. That doesn't mean I'm not going to believe what I believe, but I'm going to give your book my very best as an actor I can possibly give. Right. Because that's, that's what I'm about. Yeah, I remember you posted something, I think it was about six months, uh, maybe not even that long ago, where you regretted the fact that you had accepted something, but you had accepted it. And since you did accept it, you were going to complete it because you made the commitment. Absolutely, yes. And and so uh, I I liked hearing that. I liked hearing, uh, I, I ran into a somewhat similar situation. I actually wish that I had 
raised a concern. And in the future, if the same type of thing comes up for me, I will raise a concern. And then I'll have a choice to make since I did make the commitment. Um, but I like the fact that you said, no, I'm, I'm not really happy with this now. But you know what? I made a commitment and I stick by my commitments. You'll also note that I didn't say the title of the book or the author or anything in there. Right. I'm right. seeing I'm seeing a great deal of that, and I think that's harmful on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. But I think, and, and also part of the times when you decide you're in the middle of a book is, oh crap, I didn't know this was in there. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times when you say yes to a book, you haven't read the whole book. Right. At best, at best, you've read whatever your producer gives you as a uh, as a what do I want as a, as a, a thumbnail of it, the dust jacket. Mm-hmm. So you you don't know it's on page two seventy five till you get there. Right. No, so, so, you know, it's in, you know, so you say you say yes to a job and if it's fiction, it's fiction. It's generally not a problem. It's a nonfiction. You say, oh, my God, yeah. I can't. Yeah, but that's too late by then. And I think you have to stick. You have to stick with the commitment you made. Sure. Yeah. Um, so what all genres have you narrated? I mean, you, you know, you're talking about fiction and nonfiction, but there's a lot within each. So yeah. so what have you narrated? I, I assume well, with. Hundreds of audiobooks you've probably narrated just about every genre out there. Um, You're so- absolutely correct. I've done close to 700 books, so I've done everything out there with the exception of flat-out erotica. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not done that. Although I'm going to try that this year. Yeah? Just because I've not done it. Yeah, I am. I'm going to get a little uh, 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 fake name and let her rip. Um <laughs> But yeah, I don't care if it's straight or gay or or a mix thereof. Right. Um, I, just wanted, I have done some. I've done a lot of books that were um, my hero, my protagonist was gay. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, or in the book, a lot of sexual stuff happened. So I, I'm not a, I'm not worried about any of that stuff. Um, I just generally don't do that. So mostly, what I get is if it's funny, it'll come my way. If it's like the noir type stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're a detective. It's a mystery, that kind of thing. I get a lot of crime, nonfiction, uh, a lot of history, uh, a lot of sci-fi. Um, it's actually, I, I don't know, a lot of kids stuff too, but it just depends. Um, I'm happy to say that I don't have a brand except I'm the guy who does everything. And if do you, such a, and, and do you really like everything or do you really have a favorite? I like almost everything. I read, I, I read all the time. I've always been a, major league reader I, I mean i read i'm always reading a book mm-hmm. um i like everything i tend to lean toward if i get to pick i lean toward noir you know mysteries mm-hmm. i lean toward histories particularly um civil war and military history and i'm big in the uh, bios of either people that mean something to me or just presidents in general because i find that a fascinating art or, or leaders world leaders and government leaders fascinate mm-hmm. me. Um, I, so I read a lot of biography. I don't blame you there. I'm, uh, sometimes I think about the fact that the fate of so many billions of people is in the hands of so few dozens of people all the time. And, what, and one decision, one way or the other, changes everything. And we look at it from a historical perspective because when Winston Churchill decided this or, or Stalin decided that or, or Truman, you know, whatever – that changed everything. We can only look at it uh, in the rear view mirror, but decisions are being made at this moment mm-hmm. that will have major effects, you know, for good or bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that, and it fascinates me because there are, you know, what made him make that decision. The idea that a lot of people don't like history, but I always enjoyed it because I looked at it from a human perspective. I mean, you look at 
whether it's Genghis Khan or whether it's uh, King Richard, you know, you look at it. These are these are people living in their times, mm -hmm. real people in real time for them that we look back at as something in the past. But it, it was all, you know, in the moment at the time. Yeah. And you, you look at it from the current perspective and you think, wow, how could they have done X? Well, back in the yes. time, I mean, there could have been a bunch of reasons. I'm sure that people are going to be looking back. Uh, I mean, I'm saying it now about what's happening here locally. And uh, I'm sure that there are going to be people saying that same thing 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years from now, if we're all still here. Yeah. <laughs> Remains I won't be. Yeah, yeah no, I won't be. There remains to be seen. Uh, so, so anyway, all right. So, uh, so that's narration. So how did you get into the workshop circuit? Uh, how many splendiferous workshops the day before APAC have you held now? Um, okay. That, that particular workshop, I believe this coming May will be the fourth annual Johnny Heller splendiferous narrated workshop. Um, <clears throat> I've done, let me think now I'm bad at this sort of thing. I I've gone on the road. I started an audiobooks with recorded books, the company and, um, I go on the road with their sales staff frequently and I do excerpts from my work and talk to library staffs and uh, patrons about audiobooks, And I do, you know, like an hour program mm -hmm. basically. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that and I got in, I've been teaching, <clears throat> pardon me, um, audio book narration and commercial voiceover for 20 years or something. Um, it started with people asking me, you know, Hey Johnny, how do you do this? And so I said, well, then, then I start thinking, well, I'm going to spend a lot of time just telling people this. Let's A, get groups, and let's B, charge people for what I can do. And I started sure. working out agendas and curriculums. And what happened with the Splendiferous workshop, which was, uh, which really got me on the road to doing these workshops, was I would say four years ago here in New York, I got some, I think it was on Facebook, people said, Johnny, can you put together a workshop for people who are there? A day early. Uh, and I said, well, sure. So I decided to get some people together. I got, uh, oh, I think I have to remember now, eight to ten uh, illustrious uh, narrators who have a teaching background or big names. And we all went, we're about 60 attendees at the Beacon Hotel in New York. And then we went, I think the next year we were in Chicago. And I got a university space there because the APAC was in Chicago. So the second Johnny Heller workshop was out there. We had about 120 or so, which maybe doubled. Wow. Uh, and then here in New York last year, went to a Baruch College mm -hmm. theater. And I'd say we had about a, uh, just shy of 200. Um, and we're going to be in the same place this year. I think it, I think it only seats between 175 and 200. So I, there's a limit how many people can come, but it's a full day. I have some breakfast there, I have some lunch. And I write an agenda that I, I do, I'm not trying to take anything away from APAC at all. I think that's an important conference uh, to see and be seen and to meet. My thing is is not a networking thing so much as it is a learning thing. Mm -hmm. What the attendees learn, uh, they learn from each other, watching each other work and listening to the coaches talk about different things. So what I do first is set an agenda. Um and then I try to plug names in to the agenda that will be best for the students. So it could be anything about, we did some ACX stuff. Um, now the problem is a lot of the people come now aren't brand new, but have been at it for a little bit. And they don't, they don't want, how do I get in? They don't want the newbie stuff yet. Some of the people come will be newbies. Mm -hmm. The way I like to handle that is anything a new person learns 
they'll they're going to learn. So there's no downside to them. Mm -hmm. If I don't want to repeat basic uh, stuff to narrators who are already working, who've done 30, 40, 50 books and want to up their game. Um, I'm, I'm interested in working with them as well. But I think the things that the panel and I say to them is useful for narratives of all stripes. I mean, I learn things all the time myself from these things, and I've done, you know, gazillion books. Um, you never stop learning as an actor. No, no, I think I think it's incumbent on the actor to continue to learn all the time. My plan for this upcoming uh, fourth annual workshop is um, I'm working on the agenda right now, as a matter of fact. I'm going to have fewer coaches, I think, fewer people there and more in-depth discussion about topics. We're going to have a lot more question and answer. Um, I haven't worked it all out, but it's going to be things about the, the acting questions that come up, mm -hmm. uh, dialogue and character and first person and third person and questions that may come up when, when you're doing something. And if you have five Irish guys uh, having a fight in the bar, how do you, how do you handle that? Or, or, you know, just in how much should you be involved with the author or should the author be involved with you? What can you and the publisher do? What should you and the publisher do? Question, you know, it's a little deeper questions. And I expect different answers from the panelists, which I think will be interesting. Mm -hmm. I can tell you guys um, who listen to this that uh, not only will I be there because it's named after me, <laughs> but uh, Scott Brick will be there because he's always going to be there for me because he's my He's my boy. Um, <laughs> Paul Allen Rubin is certain. Here's the guys I'm pretty sure. Dion uh, Graham, I'm pretty sure, is going to come this year. Um, Christine Vam, I don't, I don't, she's not as well known as she should be. She's a, she, Christine Vam produced that first audiobook musical, Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, wow. And she's a great coach. And I want to have a whole panel about actors doing more than just accepting titles from publishers. Uh, like Alex Stephen J. Cohen who runs uh, um, Spoken Realms and mm -hmm. uh, Scott Brick is Brick by Brick and Christine has her company uh, and Tony Evie has a company I'm not sure who's all going to be there but Christine's going to be there um, Dion I hope uh, we're gonna, and I don't want to give everything away because I haven't talked to the, the potential people yet Sure. Uh, yeah. so, but I, but I want to have I'm going to have four or five, four panels maybe with some in-depth stuff and in the middle of course we always have a uh, lottery where uh, the attendees come up and they'll be coached by a specific instructor in front of the group for like five, 10 minutes. Um, and we all, we all grow and share. And that's a wonderful acting moment. It, this, it, this workshop's all about acting. It, it was. So uh, this past year uh, in, in May was my first APAC and I came to your workshop as well. And I got to say, I loved the, uh, the coaching sessions that you guys did on stage. Um, and I, and I do think that's true is that everybody there, there's only one person on stage getting the coaching. There are 199 people in the audience that are learning from that coaching. That is true. So and, I, um, I loved it. I, I still remember, uh, when Andy Arndt was doing her coaching, uh, and she was just here in the speakeasy a, a couple of weeks ago, but, um, it was, um, it was riveting to watch her work with somebody on stage there. And and all yeah. the other all the other ones as well. I mean, I, I don't mean to single her out and say, you know, yeah, nobody it's really else unfair. Good. Everybody else, what? Everybody else sucked. What are you trying yeah. to say? <laughs> yeah, no, every, everyone was great. I, I loved watching them all and listening to them and and seeing how uh, seeing how things went. 
I find it fascinating. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, Hillary Huber. I like to watch her work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just think she's marvelous. Um, but, I'm, you know, I, but then again, you try. Here's the thing. I would I sent a note out to the. I think I've cycled through fifteen some odd uh, coaches. Um, and I sent a note to them and said, "Look, I'd love every one of you to be back, but I can't. Right. Because if you have too many, you know, everybody wants, you know, why isn't so and so there? Well, if I have everybody back all the time, I can't get new ideas, new thoughts. And if I have too, I found I had too many people on the panels because I wasn't able to say no to anybody because mm-hmm. I don't like to. But you have too many people and you can't get deeply into a topic. Right. No, I hear and, and you. Let's, yeah, yeah. So let's say it's uh, let's say it's Scott Brick and." Paul Rubin and, and uh, Karen White. And, and there's some disagreement. I'd like to delve into that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd, I'd like to hear, because I think it's important for the attendees to know that while Sean Allen Pratt gets his quality work done in method A, uh, uh, Johnny Heller uses method B. While they're different approaches, the end result is still an excellent, hopefully an excellent audio book. Yeah, no, and I, 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 yeah, that's what I want to show. I, I completely agree. I, I sing in a chorus here in Tucson, and uh, I started in the chorus just this past January, and we had a certain director, and I loved him. I've, I've sung in choral groups before, and I loved this guy. He was great. I, I liked his approach. I liked the fact that he was teaching this about music. I liked the fact that he was, he was strict, but he was also really easy and fun to talk with. He was great. And then he got an incredible opportunity to go uh, do a master's program in Kansas City. And so he left. They hired a new conductor. I love this guy. He, <laughs> uh, he, he is a great musicianship. He wants to teach music to people. He, he knows how, he know, he's got a great ear. He knows what's wrong and he knows, you know, what section to go to. These two people are completely different in terms of how they direct the chorus. And I love them both. They're yeah, great. And, yeah. and and the same is true when you've got a, a panel discussion uh, in a workshop like yours where people disagree, they yeah. still get the work done in different ways. And something that, you know, resonates with one person might not resonate with another, but this other guy will. Well, I'm also going to use some of the attendees. I'm going to talk to a few like uh, Greg Tremblay and uh, maybe Craig Tollison and uh, Terry Schnaubelt and uh, others about uh, I might I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I might use some of them. Because they've they've done some wonderful things, and mm-hmm. I, I, here's the deal: if if you've had a breakthrough, or found a way to make ACX work, or found a way to um, to you, you understand that the value of going to authors conventions, the mystery writer north north coast northeast coast mystery writers workshop or something, and you go there, you come out of that with um, audiobook contracts mm-hmm. and and audiobook. So I want to talk to people who've done that and talk. And pick their brain a little bit if they're willing to share. Yeah, because there's so many ways now. You know, audiobooks when I started were multi-million-dollar business. Now they're multi-billion-dollar business. Yeah. And while we're not getting a bigger piece of the action, there is a lot more action. Right. And, right. and I want these actors to know that they don't have to sit home and wait for the phone to ring. That they can be um, proactive in their careers. And I'd like to talk about how to do that. How to do that. Matter of fact, Scott Brick and I will be sponsoring a workshop at the end of January. We don't have the exact location yet. We'll have to get it really quick on the business of audiobooks. So that's coming up January 27th to 28th out in LA. Um, 
Great. So well, if, if, if no place out there works, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of places here in Tucson that'd be happy to, uh, happy <laughs> to have you. <laughs> well, I talked to, uh, was it Al Kessel lives out in Arizona? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I'm, and I'm interested in coming out, but I don't know how close Al is to you is to who is to, I don't, I need to make sure there's to, for me to come out for a workshop, I need about 10 to 12 actors to justify the expense of me going. Right. Right. You know I mean? Al's quite a ways from me. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, I believe he lives north of Phoenix. Could be wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll get a hold of him. I mean, it doesn't matter to me if I fly in a Tucson, Phoenix, or I don't, any other place out there. Yeah. It, just yeah. as long as when I get there, there's a group. <laughs> well, Phoenix is far bigger than Tucson, and, yeah. and, it's, yeah. and it's not uh, that far away. I mean, it's kind of like driving from San Diego to L.A. or Orange County. Yeah. So it's not that big of a deal. But uh, I'll, I'll get a hold yeah. of him and, and see. So speaking I, of... I Go ahead, sorry. So speaking of APAC, uh, so like I said, the, my first APAC was just this past year, and uh, I went down to the listening lounge late in the afternoon since I hadn't been chosen for the speed dating session. Uh, and honestly, uh-huh. I, I expected it to be pretty bored just listening to clips from audiobooks played over a mediocre sound system. But then I saw you up at the podium, and I thought, well, okay, Johnny's going to be introducing the clips, so at least there's going to be some entertainment, right? Then I saw a bunch of the people who uh, I'd seen at your workshop the day before lining up behind you. And before long, it was clear that this was not going to be listening to clips. This was going to be listening to live audiobook narration. Uh, We were going to be watching talented actors do their thing live. It was great. I loved it. Andy Arndt, Simon Vance, you know, everybody else who was there. It It was really great stuff. So... I, I just really love that idea now of the live narration. So I would love it if you could do a live read for us now here in the audiobook speakeasy. Are you uh, up for that? Um, yeah, I try to pick something. The problem is I don't sound the same way I'm supposed to sound. Um, There's no so supposed to, Johnny. Well, no, my voice is up to snuff. Yeah, I um, understand. <laughs> so let, let, let me let me let me see if I can find a little shorter one that won't be, uh, um, but still funny. Jesus wept. No, yeah. I guess that doesn't that doesn't really qualify for the uh, funny funny part. <laughs> Not quite long enough. I'll tell you what I'll do. I there's a I'll do, I'll do I haven't done this in years. There is a book I did uh, for a quarter book some years ago called uh, Plato and a Platypus Walk Into a Bar, <laughs> and it's written by a couple of Harvard philosophy professors, and their basic premise is that all the jokes we tell, you know, to you know a priest and a rabbi walking in a bar um, that all the jokes we tell are basic are get, get, get their genesis from philosophical schools of thought. So for example, essentialism leads to this joke, um, 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 inductive logic or process philosophy, these different schools of philosophy lead to jokes. So let me give you an example of, of how they do one of them. All right. Here is here, for example, is essentialism. What is the structure of reality? What specific attributes make things what they are, or as philosophers who want to say, what attributes make things not what they aren't? Aristotle drew distinction between essential and accidental properties. The way he put it is that essential properties are those without which a thing wouldn't be what it is, and accidental properties are those that determine how a thing is, but not what it is. For example, Aristotle thought that rationality was essential to being a human being, and since Socrates was a human being, Socrates' rationality was essential to his being Socrates. Without the property of rationality, Socrates simply wouldn't be Socrates. He wouldn't even be a human being, so how can he be Socrates? 
So we'll go further on this. So, so, no, so it explains a little bit about mm-hmm. the, the school of thought, and then it goes into the joke, which is what we want. Here's the joke. When Thompson hit 70, he decided to change his lifestyle completely so he could live longer. He went on a strict diet, and he jogged, and he swam, and went to the gym. He took sun baths. In just three months' time, Thompson lost 30 pounds, reduced his waist by six inches, expanded his chest by five inches. Now he's svelte, he's tan. He decides to top it all off with a sporting new haircut. Afterward, while stepping out of the barbershop, he gets into the street and is hit by a bus. As he lay dying, he cries out, God, God, how could you do this to me? And the voice from the heavens responds, to tell you the truth, Thompson, I didn't even recognize you. <laughs> all right. That's great. I, 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 can, I, I can just hear somebody telling that joke in a bar. <laughs> I'll, I'll do a few more of these for you. All right. <laughs> I, it, this is process philosophy. It had to happen. The philosopher came along and took exception to the notion of a compulsive God who has his finger in everything. 20th century philosopher Alfred North Whitehead argued that not only is God incapable of determining the future, the future will determine the end. According to Whitehead's process philosophy, God is neither omnipotent nor omniscient, but is changed by events as they unfold, or as the New Agers might say, God is like so evolved. Okay, here's the joke. Alvin's working in his store, and he hears a booming voice from above, and it says, Alvin, sell your business. He ignores the voice. So the voice goes on and on for days, saying, Alvin, sell your business for $3 million. And after weeks of this, he relents, and he sells his store. The voice says, Alvin, go to Las Vegas. And Alvin asks why. Alvin, just take the $3 million and go to Vegas. Alvin obeys, and he goes to Vegas, and he goes to a casino. The voice says, Alvin, go to the blackjack table and put it all down on one hand. Alvin hesitates, but he gives in. He's dealt an 18. The dealer has a six showing. Alvin, take a card. What? The dealer has to take a card. Alvin tells the dealer to hit him, and he gets an ace. 19. He breathes easy. Alvin, take another card. What? Take another card. Alvin asks for another card. It's another ace. He has 20. Alvin, take another card, the voice commands. I have 20, Alvin shouts. Take another card, booms the voice. Hit me, Alvin says. He gets another ace, 21, and the booming voice is unfucking believable <laughs> ah. you, as, you as, as a former card counter, I love that joke. <laughs> I think it's a hilarious joke. Right, I'll give you. I'll give you. Uh, I'll give our listeners a couple more. All right. <laughs> okay. Here, here is inductive logic. In the annals of literature, no character is so renowned for his powers of deduction as the intrepid Sherlock Holmes. But the way Holmes operates is not generally by using deductive logic at all. He really uses inductive logic. First, he carefully observes the situation. Then he generalizes from his prior experience in using analogy and probability as he does in the following story. Holmes and Watson are on a camping trip. In the middle of the night, Holmes wakes up and gives Watson a nudge. Watson, he says, look up in the sky and tell me what you see. I see millions of stars, Holmes, says Watson. And what you conclude from that, Watson? Watson thinks for a moment. And he says, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. 
Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Theologically, I see that God is all-powerful, and we are small and insignificant. Um, what does it tell you, Holmes? Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> all right, I'll give it, I'll just give you two no, more jokes. All right. There you go. Right here, two, I'll tell you the philosophy, I'll just give you the jokes. Tommy goes to confession and he tells the priest, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. I've been with a loose woman. Is that you, Tommy? Says the priest. Yeah, it is, Father. Who is it you're with, Tom? I'd rather not say, Father. Was it Bridget? No, Father. Was it Colleen? No, Father. Was it Megan? No, Father. Well, Tommy, say for our fathers and for Hail Marys. And Tommy gets outside. His friend Pat asks him how it went. Terrific, says Tommy. I got four Our Fathers, four Hail Marys, and three great leads. <laughs> and here's the last one. A man goes into the confession booth and tells the priest, Father, I'm 75 years old, and last night I made love to two 20-year-old girls at the same time. The priest says, when did you last go to confession? The man says, I've never been to confession, Father. I, I am Jewish. The priest says, why are you telling me? He says, what, are you kidding? I'm telling everybody. <laughs> But, of there course, the important point here is that this is all about philosophy. It is about philosophy. And you can, <laughs> and you can accidentally, while listening to this narrative, um, learn philosophy. Yeah. Or, some, or a little bit about schools of thought. When I was at Loyola, we had to take uh, nine, you know, nine hours of philosophy and nine hours of theology. So uh, we had to do a lot of that. And I, I don't sound quite as harsh when I do it because my voice is normal. Yeah, <laughs> it's not quite this, this. I hear myself as rumbling, dumbling. I'm like, who is speaking? Well, that's this great. Is not, if, this is not the voice that did all those books. If, <laughs> if I can make it to uh, to the listening lounge again this year, I will be looking forward to it this time because this I will say. However, I I won't be there. Oh, you're not going to be at APAC. I, I'll be at APAC, I imagine, but I have uh, I won't be part of the listening lounge anymore. Oh, I'm After, sorry. I, I, I start I started some years ago, and now they decided. Uh, it was going so well, they decided to make a change and not let me do it anymore. Wow. Well, that's too bad. I, 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 I think I think so too. But you know, and they can, you know, it's their powers that be and all that. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe it will yeah, be fine I, anyway. I, mean, I, I hope it's wonderful. And I'll, I'll be say this: whoever is going to be hosting, and however they do it, please give them, uh, you listeners, don't uh, give them give them a shot and give them your your applause and, and your and your and your warmth and your love. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, it, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not there. Don't be. It, that's just the way it is. It's no reason to be upset with anybody else. No, I, I agree. And, and I will do that when I go. It's just that this pastime, it was just different than what I expected. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I loved people it. Yeah. Get to out you hear some great, you're the best narrators doing great stuff. It's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. No, it, it was great. So, um, so you're coaching. Your specific style of coaching, do you, do you vary it by student or is it mostly the same just with different material or do you have more of a curriculum or? Uh, Sean Allen Pratt is a, I think a written curriculum. I do not. I, if the end result is always the end result, but I tend to work and pride myself in the ability to work with different students. And I, I, I change my style depending on the student. Mm -hmm. I, I'm hopeful and, I think I'm pretty good at finding out the way a student needs to hear something. Um, if, if, if I find that you're a certain style and I can just tell you something flat out and get it, other people have to finesse it more. Sure. Other people, you know, need to see, uh, some people want me to, you know, 
uh, put my hand on their shoulder and be friendly. Other people want me to stay back. You know, you, you have to get a feel for what people like, how they need to hear things and see things and understand things. Yeah. So depending on the student you have, you need to, and many of them are nervous. Many of them lack confidence. So maybe the first job isn't anything more than instilling in them a sense that, yeah, you can do this. Um, so I, I change per student and I teach and whether I'm teaching commercial voiceover or audiobook uh, narration, the only thing that remains constantly the same is for me, it's all about the acting, mm-hmm. the acting. It's moment to moment acting. I don't care. A commercial is 15 seconds, 30, 45 or 60. An audiobook narration is anything from, you know, 15 minutes to 15 hours. Right. It's all about the acting. There's, so, a, there's, a, there's a script, there's an actor, you know, so th- and that's it. For the for, an audience. For your audiobook narration coaching, do you, do you tend to focus on fiction or nonfiction or do you just not care and you'll be oh, happy? I, not to, care. So you'll, you're, you're happy to I, coach no matter what. Oh yeah. I've, I've done, I do all genres. So I, I don't focus. I, I, I think it's a mistake. No, I don't want to be rude about it. I, I I don't focus on one genre. I don't, I don't focus on fiction or nonfiction. I focus on audiobooks. Okay. Um, I've, I've coached romance and erotica. I've co- there's, I've coached every single genre out there. I know one uh, actor. Um, not today. It's Chris Meyer. Chris Meyer, a great guy. When I first worked with him at Edge Studio, where I do a lot of work, um, mm-hmm. he had some issues and he worked hard. I did it. Was a four week workshop. He's with me and he worked hard. And the next time I saw him, sometime later. He had taken everything I told him and worked and worked and worked, and he was damn good. It was just wonderful to see. And now he only really wants to work, at least he did, in sci-fi. Well, fortunately, in sci-fi, there's a whole lot of subgenres, so it doesn't. But if that's what you want, that's what you want. I am uncomfortable being branded mm-hmm. um, as this guy, that guy, the other guy. I love sci-fi, but I don't want to do sci-fi to the exclusion of Civil War revisionist history or, or, uh, um, uh, Groucho Marx, you know, I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I coach certain, you know, people always say to me, Oh, I have a, people tell me I have a wonderful voice. Like, yeah, nothing to do with it. Are you an actor? Can you tell a story? Can you share the author's truth with the listener? Cause that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And every time you break away from those, that, that complete uh, commitment to the author's truth, that's when trouble rears its ugly head. And so I try to make that clear. And once you have that in your head, all the other things start to fall into place. Mm-hmm. That's so, my take. So you've coached a lot of narrators, uh, both oh, be- my, beginners yeah. and seasoned pros. Do you have any good uh, coaching stories? What to coaching do, stories? what, what um, to do, what not to do. No, no names. I, I, if you'd I'll, rather I'll not. Tell you, I'll tell you a few. No, I'll, I'll give you, here's a, here, Bob, uh, RC Bray, mm-hmm. Bob Sauer. Both these guys are award-winning uh, narrators who worked with me in workshops because there were things they specifically wanted to work on. And I thought it's wonderful that you guys, you know, because the initial feeling for the, for me is what am I going to tell you guys? But in fact, there are things they got. And and I thought it was wonderful that they were there. Some coaching um, horror stories are those people that uh, here's one, here's one major, major problem. And I, I wrote a blog. I have a blog called for the hell of it that you can find on either abbreviated audio dot uh, com or johnnyheller.com mm-hmm. and my most recent blog is about coaching if you're going to pay somebody to coach i think it's incumbent on you the actor <clears throat> to research that coach 
people come in to see me at Edge and they haven't even looked me up. I'm thinking, you know, you're paying whatever the hell it is you're paying. But what if I don't know anything? Or what if I'm the kind of coach who just says, Rich Miller, what a great sound. Oh, man, I love you, man. And you know, I'm just validating everything about you, <laughs> you know, which is worth some money to you, maybe. But we're not learning anything. And I may have no background with which to do so. If I've only done three audiobooks, I don't think I'm going to be an audiobook coach yet. But I know people have done 10 and 15 audiobooks that are trying to coach. And I think, frankly, that's bullshit. I think you shouldn't. I think it's not fair. I think you can tell people things that you know that they don't. But well, that's kind of friendly advice. It's not coaching. So some of the horror stories are people who don't investigate and research their coach. And then they have expectations, which will never be realized because the coach can't take them there. Also, you, um, but then you have people who came in. <clears throat> some I wrote a story in the blog. There's a guy who came in who just didn't know what he wanted. He didn't know if he wanted to go into animation, commercials, narration, e-learning, audiobooks, whatever. He just knew he had a, he thought he had a great voice. Now, whether he did or didn't is, is irrelevant. I didn't think it was so swell, but there you go. <laughs> and I said, well, the thing is, no matter what you do, it's based, all of them are based as, on acting, on moment-to-moment acting and on connecting with feelings. Well, I don't like to do that, he said. So what do you mean? Because I, I don't want to share my feelings. I said, well, then this is probably not for you. I said, you might want to consider getting in a basic acting class, a scene study, and see what you really feel. Maybe it'll knock down some walls and open your, open your mind and heart a little bit. And he thinks for me, he literally thinks, and he looks at me and goes, is that a good way to meet chicks? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I said, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much why we all got into it. Yeah. <laughs> I said, what do you say? I had another guy who came in. He had one of these kind of deep, rich, he's an older fellow. He saw that he wanted to do audiobook narration. He had an old-time radio voice, like that kind mm. of thing. So he goes in, okay, let's talk. I said, did you bring anything to read? He goes, yes, I did. So he walks in the studio, and we get him all set up and open a session, and off we go. Eat, pray, love. <laughs> and he starts reading. And I'm laughing because I think he's pulling my leg, you know. So he goes on, but I see he's really into this. And I stopped him. I said, you know, this is a story where the protagonist, the words you're reading right now, are, are this kind of young woman who has sexual awakening in Italy. He says, yes. I said, well, it was chapter two. <laughs> and all <laughs> I say so. So those kinds of things amaze me. It's people. A lot of times, people don't really want to be coached. They simply want another opportunity to uh, perform for someone else, mm-hmm. and they're willing to pay for it. There is always, and I'm sure you get this. I think all audiobook people get it, and all voiceover people get it. The idea that you're a voiceover actor, and also I cannot stand when people say I'm a narrator and an actor. You're an actor, mm-hmm. and one of the acting things you do is narration. But um, when we do this. People think, wait, wait, you read books out loud? Yes, I do. I can do that. <laughs> and, you know, you know, the answer, of course, is no, you can't. But that sort of thing, it's going to happen to everybody when you start doing this. The idea, it's a storyteller's craft, and not everyone can tell a good story. Right. It's an acting craft, and not everybody's a good actor. Um, and I think, for me, that's what it comes down to. It's all about the acting, and if that's not going to be part of how you work or what you want to do, then A, I probably shouldn't coach you, and B, I would advise you not to get involved. Because the people, be who are really successful, yeah, people are really successful, really good, and really committed are actors. That doesn't mean you've got to have studied uh, Stanislavski or Meisner or Shirtleff or gone to a, a Yale rep or anything. 
you, you could have come. I think Jeffrey Kafer was uh, working for Microsoft. He's a good storyteller. He's a fine actor. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean he studied. I mean, I'm sure he's studied since. But either way, he's still very good. It doesn't mean that you, know, you have to have done that. It's not like. I'm a good dancer, but I'm not ready to do ballet. I need to study ballet. Sure. It doesn't mean I can't dance, you know? Yeah. I, 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 there's an inherent skill in crafts. And you know if you have that. If you don't have that, you can learn acting craft, I think. You cannot learn talent. Hmm. So there. Nice. So uh, do you offer any services besides coaching? So say, for example, <laughs> say, say, say someone came what to you. What do you have in mind, right? Well, <laughs> say, say someone came to you and wanted you to introduce them to everyone you know at every audiobook production house. How much would you charge for that? I'm just, uh, a, a friend of mine was wondering about that. I would not do it. <laughs> I simply wouldn't. Hear, hear, people, ask us to, <clears throat> people ask me, if you want, if you're a student of mine and or a friend of mine and you want so-and-so's email address, you can contact them. I, I don't see a problem with that as long as the email address is readily available anyway. Right. Um, if you want to use my name as a recommendation, I do have a problem with that. Sure. Yeah. You, you need to get my recommendation and I need to be able to recommend you. And if I recommend, if I charge for that, my recommendation, and then my recommendation is worthless. And if I give my recommendation freely to all who ask for it, my recommendation is worthless. Yeah. Now I'm, and, I am and, not surprised to hear that. Yeah. So the, in other words, so there are people who say, listen, I really think that, for example, a lot of my commercial voiceover students, if I like them, I will recommend them to a uh, talent agency that I have a good relationship with because I think they're good. And I don't recommend people I don't think are good. It doesn't, or, or I don't think are ready. Mm-hmm. I won't make a demo. I will not make a demo for a commercial actor or an audiobook actor if I don't think they're competitive. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to them and fair to the people who are going to hire them. Mm-hmm. I can, you can make a wonderful demo in a studio with someone who really sucks because we can do that. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the, the, the tech is there, but I, I think that's unfair. So the other services I offer, I do offer, um, and we're spreading out. Um, I'm partnering with uh, my wife, Joanna Perrin, and my good friend, Stephen J. Cohen, in a concern that we will make more public later. But our idea is <clears throat> to offer publishing opportunities, uh, acting opportunities, and probably first directing opportunities, which we will offer to publishing houses and to actors. A lot of actors in the start say, I wonder if I had a director to help me. Um, we're going to, we're going to offer that service. I think that's going to be something that should be helpful. Um, and how it'll work, we're not sure, or the, or the, or the prices yet, because it may be known that you can't afford on this particular project. There's enough money in the bank to afford uh, Joanna Perrin to uh, direct your non uh, nonfiction book for all 11 hours, but she will direct the first chapter or two so that you're in the right, you know, the right place. Sure. Then in you, the right direction. Then you can just yeah. keep moving in the same direction. Yeah. yeah. Or if, there, if there's a chapter that's a bit that you're stymied somewhere, uh, then of course we'd have to find a way to get the notes to get, but there's, we're going to work on that and we can bring some other uh, name narrators um, and coaches into the group once we get it going. But it's a new business we're thinking of, uh, for the new year, I'm waiting to see what the, the uh, tax scam is going to be and how that's going to affect this business idea. Yeah, but, that, that sounds great. Yeah, so we're going to be offering that and some other services. But right now, my services are uh, are, are voiceover acting and, and training. So I'm going <laughs> to expand those a little bit. But I do I do a lot of I do a lot of speaking, and you know, it's I mean, 
Yeah. I think people know who I am and what they get when they get me. So well, I, 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 to- I, I totally hear what you're saying about uh, not wanting to create a demo before somebody is ready. I know that uh, you're right with technology, what it is today. There are a lot of things that you can do to make something sound good. The problem is that if somebody is not going to be able to recreate that when they need to, somebody listening to a demo is then going to be really disappointed and whoever the person is, is not going to be in the work that they expect to be getting after having such a great demo produced. Exactly true. That's exactly the case. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So Johnny, I don't want to take too, take up too much more of your time. Where can people find you? The best place is, um, at, uh, Mr. Johnny Heller at gmail.com. So Mr. Without the period, Mr. Johnny Heller at gmail.com. Okay. Um, I'm on Facebook as Johnny Heller, easy to find. I'm on Twitter, also as Johnny Heller. I'm on Instagram, I believe I'm also Johnny Heller. Easy stuff. Um, yeah, it's the tricky shit. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I said the johnnyheller.com um, is, is my website, which has uh, samples and all kinds of things. And I update my classes there too. Um, uh, we have not, I have not updated because I don't know everything's going to happen in the 2018 yet. I know I will be in San Francisco in August. I know I'll be at, uh, what's that, Malvo, the uh, Mid-Atlantic voiceover thing, in uh-huh. uh, November with uh, Val Kelly. What, uh, what are you doing uh, in San Francisco in August? Uh, Elaine Clark. Oh, yeah, sure, uh, voice one. Yeah, yeah, I'll be working there for the uh, – <clears throat> she and I, she's a well, – I love her, just wonderful. And she's asked me to come out a bunch of times, and I have not been able to. But, I, but Joanna and I love San Francisco. So we thought we'd maybe, you know, make a vacation and I'll work a day to kind of pay off a part of it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so I'll work a day or two and then uh and then Joanna and I'll goof off because we like we've been a set we like San Francisco, it's a wonderful city. Yeah, no, it's great. I I was, <coughs> I was in the Bay Area from uh geez, I think eighty nine to uh two thousand twelve and uh, two thousand eleven and um 2012. I don't remember. Anyway, I, I was there for uh, many years and there's a lot of great things in the Bay Area. Great food, great. It's just, it's just wonderful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Good place. And yeah, August so. is a pretty good month to be there. I would say if you can change it, you might want to change it to October when the weather will Can't. be better. But uh, well, in, it, in October, in October, Joanna Perrin and uh, Stephen J. Cohen and I have our, our Rhode Island, uh, Splendiferous New York. Oh, right. right. All right. We do that in Rhode Island. So that's a. Uh, that's a, that's a regular thing. Well, so August. And, oh, that's just, a wonderful just, thing. Yeah. Just, just be prepared. August in San Francisco, uh, take jackets. No, no. Well, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I own one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Johnny, this is great. Thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, my pleasure. Good chatting with you. Yeah, great chatting with you, All too. Right. And I'm sure I will see you soon. Okay, buddy. Take care. All right. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Johnny Heller for making time in his busy schedule to stop by and chat with me here in the audiobook speakeasy. If you have a chance to participate in one of Johnny's workshops, take it. You won't be disappointed. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. A quick shout-out to listeners VA Bub 42 and Figgins and Cats, who left five-star reviews with some kind words on iTunes. I'm happy to hear that listeners are finding our chats here informative, and I'm especially happy to know that they're enjoyable not just to audiobook narrators and others working in the business, but to casual listeners as well. 
If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail on an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. Until we see you here at the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Thank <laughs> you.